What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Top of the List. I am one of your hosts, RB, joined with my co-host, Dom. Say what's up, Dom. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. And this week, we are discussing what was a big, big release for me this summer, personally. Dom, I... I'll let you talk a little bit about your excitement level for this one as well. The live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. Now, personally, for those of you out there listening who are unaware, this is my all-time favorite Disney animated film. So I was really excited. I remember when they announced this live-action remake, I think probably around 2018. So this was a long five-year wait for me. uh, Because, again, I love, love, love the animated film. This was the Disney film that I grew up on, and uh, also because I think, Dom, you and I both have some choice opinions about some of the Disney live-action remakes. We've loved some, we've hated some, so there was excitement and, let's call it, cautious optimism for this from me as a Definitely. diehard Little Mermaid fan. Uh, what what were your opinions going into this before seeing the film, before we even talk about how we think they did? Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree with you, RB. Little Mermaid is one of the best animated films Disney ever made. I personally think Lion King is still my favorite, um, but I I do think Little Mermaid is definitely up there. But um, yeah, so this one had some really, really high expectations to live up to. And um, just to give a little recap, I think we've maybe mentioned this on previous episodes, but let's talk about it now. as far as you and I go, I think we sit in the same boat in this one. The only two that have really, really done a fantastic job as far as the live-action remakes that Disney has done have been the Beauty and the Beast live-action remake and Aladdin's live-action remake. So far, I really like those. I know, RB, you were a fan of the Lion King live-action remake. I cut it. I was not. Maybe no, not. I was not. Okay. I, I didn't really enjoy yeah, I, that I, much. I did not like it. Okay, good. Okay, I wasn't sure if, if you liked that one or not. But, um... But so far, um, Beauty and the Beast was by far my favorite one. Aladdin was a close second. Um, but I'm very excited to say that after watching this live-action Little Mermaid that it's very rare that this happens, but I have a new top of the list for live-action Disney films. And as far as it goes for me, I'm interested to see what you think, RB. But um, I loved, loved, loved pretty much everything about the Little Mermaid live-action remake Um and once again, I want to apologize for the lateness on this review. I had to wait till this one came out on Disney+. Plus. Didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. So it's on me that we uh, had to delay the review for a bit. RB went and saw this one in theaters. Yeah, so, you know, let's, let's chat about this. Um, I don't know that I can say this is the top of my list. I think Beauty and the Beast, which was, quite frankly, looking through, I just went back and t- took a, list, uh, a look at all of the live-action Disney remakes. You know, I think was the first one I saw uh, that I think started all of this. Obviously, there was a, a live-action 101 Dalmatians in the in the late 90s, early 2000s, the Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton films. Um, but I think really the... Maybe, maybe Cinderella was the first that did the live-action right. thing that, that was a, a true Disney classic animated film that they turned into a live-action film. Um but Beauty and the Beast, I think, still is the benchmark. I don't know that anything will top that one. Now, to me, the Aladdin and this are the next tier. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we'll talk about it here, but I know I, we've talked. I want to say we reviewed The Lion King. And yeah. I believe both The Lion King and another couple of live action ones they've come out with more recently, Mulan and Pinocchio, where they struggled was they 
quite literally were shot-for-shot remakes (laughs) in live action. And to a fault, uh, so in both Pinocchio and in uh, Lion King, because those are basically animated films again. I mean, Lion King's 100% CG, so it's essentially just another fancy remake of an animated film, just a remastering, if you will. And uh, Pinocchio, again, they had the opportunity. We reviewed Pinocchio when we reviewed uh, Benicio Del Toro's, or Guillermo Del Toro. Benicio Del Toro, right? Guillermo. Guillermo Del Toro, thank you. Um, Pinocchio. They had an opportunity to do something really cool with the CG that they have, and instead quite literally made a three-dimensional of the same animated Pinocchio. Uh, Absolutely. So again, that's where we found faults before. Wasn't that another one they did? They did. No, I've never seen the live-action Jungle Book. I've only seen the original animated cartoon. I've never seen the live-action. Live-action Jungle Book is another good one. It'd it'd be pretty high up there. I don't know if it reaches Aladdin or Little Mermaid or anything like that, but it was a pretty damn good one, too, as as well as Cinderella was decent as well. It it was really Pinocchio, Lion King, and what was the other one you mentioned? It was another one. Mulan. Those ones just didn't hit right, and... First of all, let's talk about what, why was Beauty and the Beast the benchmark? Well, it's for a great reason. It's because it was a perfect blend of familiar and just enough new touches that it made it feel fresh. And I feel like that's what Little Mermaid did as well for me. I agree with – and again, that's why, why I brought up that those other three mm-hmm. to me did such a poor job of doing a true adaptation rather than a remake – is Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and now Little Mermaid have all done an excellent job blending uh, the old and the new. Now, almost to a fault, why I think the Sleeping Beauty is perfect is because I think Sleeping Beauty... Uh, I'm sorry, um, Beauty and the Beast. I don't know where <laughs> right. I came up with Sleeping Beauty. Beauty and the Beast keeps everything we loved and adds more. Whereas I think Aladdin yeah. and Little Mermaid, there are certain parts here or there... That they cut out that I missed. Mm-hmm. I don't think they cut anything in Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping right. Beauty felt like a grown up uh, – keep doing that. Beauty and the Beast felt like a real grown-up <laughs> version of the animated film that I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I felt like Little Mermaid and Aladdin may have cut a few too many things from the original that I missed. So, again, I mean, if we're going to go into scores, I'm just going to jump in right here. I think Beauty and the Beast is a 9.5 out of 10 for me. I have a hard time giving a 10 out of 10 to something that's not completely original, a la right. Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, but I'll give it a 9.5 yeah. out of 10. But I think I'll give Little Mermaid and Aladdin both a 9 out of 10. This was still a fantastic film, as was Aladdin. Yeah, I'm right with you, RB. I actually think that um, I'd rate this one a little bit higher. I'd I, I don't know. I, I would even give this new Little Mermaid a 10 out of 10 because I feel okay. like you're right. Yes, they took some stuff out, but I feel like the stuff that they replaced it with was even better and more like impactful than some of the stuff in the original Little Mermaid, I would argue. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll go into specifics uh, if you're ready to go into specifics. Uh, do yeah, you want to do yeah. the spoiler alert? Uh, yeah, alert? a little spoiler warning coming at yeah. you. Wee, wee, wee. So one of one of my favorite things, and I do have a negative in this one, so I feel like I should give this one a nine and a half. But um, for the Little Mermaid, one of my favorite things that they did here was number one, perfect casting on every level. I feel like every cast member yes. in this was perfect. Um, Very much agreed. Especially, I, I have to get this one out of the way because people people might hate me for saying this, but I have a big issue with a lot of Disney films, 
And number one big issue I have with a lot of these Disney princess films is that they make the prince just there to be there to impress the girl. I hate when they do this, you know, it's the same thing. I, it goes for both ways. You know, I hate when they make princesses only there to please the man. I hate when they make men only there to please the women. And that was one flaw I had with the original Little Mermaid, that the prince was just there to be rebellious and to be there to please the Little Mermaid. Well, what I loved about this new Little Mermaid is that they gave him a very, very convincing motive in this one. He wants to yep. help people on the other islands out there. He wants to bring medicine and help people that need medicine. He wants to bring cultures that weren't in his own culture back to his culture, back to this port that he lives on, which I thought was just an A-plus update of this character as Prince Eric. Couldn't agree more with you. I, I love the development of a character that is quite truly underdeveloped in the original series, uh, or in the original film, I should say. Yeah, I, I love the character building for Prince Eric. Uh, I love the portrayal as well by um, Jonah Howard King. I think he's awesome in this role. Oh, yeah. um, I like that he gets an original song as well. Um, yes. Anytime we get an original song in Disney, and we got a couple of them here, it's always a mixed bag, but I think I really enjoyed, and I know one of the other original songs a little bit controversial on my thoughts of liking it, but I love both original songs that were added to this film. Um, yeah, no, I think the casting was was spot on. And uh, again, you know, I, as our longtime listeners know, we both uh, are in love with the V Diggs, and I think he did an awesome job <laughs> as Sebastian the Crab. Um, oh, but perfect. obviously, by and large, too, I think uh, Halle Bailey was incredible as uh, as Ariel. Yeah, and, and this casting got a lot of buzz. You know, obviously, definitely a different ethnicity than the Little Mermaid was depicted in the you know animated film. Um, I honestly, as soon as the movie started and she said the first words in the film, I was locked in. I felt like, oh, this is perfect. She was the epitome of Ariel. I think Halle Bailey did a yep. fantastic job. Singing was on another level. I thought just as good Incredible. as the voice actress yep. in uh, the original. Yeah, very much so. Um, I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you. I thought she was awesome. Um, yeah, and again, it, it just I, – I understand that, you know, like you said, different ethnicity. It didn't make a difference because right. Halle Bailey is an excellent actress – who embodied this role? And you know, anyone who can who can make an argument that it wasn't the same because of that didn't watch the same movie because it right. didn't make a difference. I don't care who is playing the role as long as they play it with the veracity that she did. It's an excellent portrayal. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with that, RB. And one other thing I want to talk about that this film did great. From I don't know who the director of this one is. I'm forgetting right now. I thought I remembered, but I don't. But um, the directing and art direction in this film I thought was absolutely top-notch. Um, and I want to bring this up because this was one of my biggest issues with The Lion King. It was one of my biggest issues with Pinocchio, namely, that we had a very bland-looking film. Like, yes, The Lion King was visually great because of the CG, but Pinocchio, oh my gosh, what a bland color palette. Did not pop off of the screen at all. And, I mean, there's one sequence in this film where my jaw was on the floor, the under-the-sea sequence. So many colors on the screen at once. So many different kinds of animals underneath the sea. I thought it was great. See, and that's one of the knocks I'm going to give this film. It was Rob Marshall who directed this film, who's a notorious uh, director of the spectacular cinematographic 
musical, the the change from a Broadway musical onto screen. He did Chicago. That was his his first big film in 2002, which is a personal favorite of mine. Into the Woods uh, back That's in 2014. And Mary Poppins Returns, which I thought was excellent. Me so, too. Uh, Rob Marshall was our director here. But I will say the Under the Sea sequence for <laughs> me was a little disappointing. And oh, I, I felt where they could have – it felt there was a long sequence with, sure, great colors and whatnot where it was just a black background with the colors dancing along the screen where I thought they could have played more on the fact that they were, you know, under the sea. Mm. That that was that was one part that kind of peeved me a little bit because that's one of my favorite sequences in the animated film where we're on the ocean floor seeing all the different animals in the sea, not we've got a black screen with the animals each popping up as David Diggs sings about them. Um, and again, I mean, like I said, one of my all-time favorite scenes in animation – um, every time I go to Disneyland, I have to go on the Little Mermaid ride and I get super <laughs> excited when you go through the Under the Sea room. So, you know, that was one thing that kind of fell short for me in this one. One of the two small, small nitpicks I have in this one was that scene um, that I think kind of took away from I, – I thought it could have been done a little bit better. That – if Disney ever needed to go back to the overuse of CG that they did in Lion King – that would have been the scene to do it with all the sea creatures in the ocean with Ariel and David Diggs on screen, not sort of cut away like they did. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. And what, what's your other nitpick, Arby? I'm interested to know. This one's very, very small. Okay. But my favorite song from this film growing up was Le Poisson, and they cut it ah, with the yes. chefs. Yeah, <laughs> and I thought it would have been a perfect – and I. I said this to anyone and everyone who would hear me before I went and saw this. I was like, man, I hope Lin-Manuel Miranda shows up and does Le Poisson, you know, dressed up as the, as the chef. And I <laughs> thought it would have been, been amazing. And it wasn't. But that's the only other small nitpick I have is they cut that song and that was like my favorite because I loved like the kitchen and I loved like the – as a kid, it was it was cool for me because I ate seafood from a young age and I loved seafood. And seeing like a crab trying to escape from the kitchen, <laughs> it, it, it conflicted me as a kid. I'm like – I like seafood, but I want Sebastian the Crab to be okay, you know? So I was hoping we'd see that on screen. We did not, but it's okay. It's funny that you mentioned that because my mom said the exact same thing. She's like, where was the whole scene with the chef? That's like one of my favorite parts. So I was like, oh, yeah. I didn't even remember that. I, I, funny that you brought that up. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, that is a little bit of a change they made there. But um, one thing I wanted to – let's talk about a couple more uh, performances, a couple more characters. Yeah, yeah. Namely, Ursula, played by Melissa yeah. McCarthy. I mean – that's about as perfect as you can get. Yeah, and you know, I was surprised because I feel like she got – she received mixed reviews in this role. Right. I thought she was awesome. I thought yeah. it was a really, really enjoyable performance. She played it her own way, which was excellent. Yes. Melissa McCarthy may not have the vocal range that the original voice actress who played Ursula did, but I don't think it, it lacked because she had the attitude, the you know, for yes. lack of better terms, the chutzpah. You yeah. know, the, she, the, she perfectly embodied – uh, Ursula, I, I thought she was awesome in this role. Yeah, and one thing I really want to bring up is um, the ending. I love the – I was afraid with the ending because we know that she's going to get giant right at the end, and we know mm-hmm. that we're going to get a big monster battle sequence. And I was afraid, is this just going to be another big CGI mess? Is this just going to look so hokey as a giant Ursula? I was delighted to see that the – Giant Ursula was terrifying. I thought this was mm-hmm. very well done. And and the, the sequence as well with the whirlpools yes. and the ship were, were excellent. Something 
straight out of like a like a Pirates of the Caribbean film. I mean, I thought yeah. it was a great action sequence. They went for it and it worked. Yeah, absolutely. And um actually I want to talk about one of my favorite parts uh, that's actually a new addition to this film, which mm-hmm. is this whole sequence where they I don't know where they are specifically. I, I mean, I'm not very geographically inclined, but I want to say some sort of Caribbean subculture. Yeah, that, that's the vibe I got as well. When he's talking about how it's a Spanish ship coming or a French yeah. ship when that opening sequence. Yeah, I, I would have assumed somewhere on sort of the trade routes from Europe to the New World. Yeah, and I, I, I thought the sequence where they're on the way to Lagoon to sing the famous Kiss, Kiss the Girl song, right? Uh, where they start dancing and they go to this big market and they get him a hat. And um, I just loved seeing the vibrancy of different ethnicities, different cultures. Like, it felt so great to feel like this was grounded in realism in some way, which is what this film needed. Absolutely. Yes, I, I completely agree with you there. And um, one of my favorite things actually from, from that sequence, I don't know if you knew this, but the person who gives Ariel the hat is, uh, is Jody Benson, who was the voice actress who voiced Ariel in the, in the original oh, film. Wow. So it was a little cameo there, which I like. That I like any time they throw that in, throw in a little I love cameo that. where you have someone show up from the original. Yeah, yeah I love that. That was awesome. And I feel like um, – we should also talk about a little bit um, Aquafina, right? She's in this film. Yes, big as name, Scuttle. As Scuttle, yes. Big name actress in this film. And they do her the honor of giving her a rap song almost with David Diggs. Uh, with David Diggs, yeah. And again, this was the other new song that I would say was, again, a controversial opinion. It sounds like from both of us. Th- this song was awesome. A lot of people yeah. – were cringing in the theaters when right. when they heard this song. I thought it was great. I again, David Diggs does his thing. He's awesome in it, and I think again, the fact that Aquafina is not a rapper, the fact that Aquafina sometimes struggles, it seems getting the delivery out matches the character of Scuttle perfectly. I had yeah. no problems with it. Yeah, I thought it was. It's great. a catchy song too. I've, I've listened to it in the car, you know, since, and I, I think it's very catchy on second and third and fourth listen. Me too. Yeah, I, I thought it fit well in the movie. It fit perfectly. That was that's one of the big problems. If they try to add a new song in these Disney films, it doesn't feel like it fits. And I feel like they did a decent job in this one of making them feel like, okay, yeah, this could have been in the original, and it flows nicely. And again, we've we've talked about this. I think the original song they added to Beauty and the Beast, the Beast song, I, I Know She'll Never Leave Me, I think it's called. That was a great uh, song. Ev- Evermore, something like that. Evermore, yes. I think is the name of the song. I think is awesome, or Forevermore. Mm-hmm. Um, he's amazing. In Aladdin, we get an original song. Jasmine gets a great song. The I best think song fits. in the movie, I think. Yes. The original song in Lion King, Beyonce's original song, does not fit. In that Does film. not fit at it all. It makes yeah. zero sense. Um, and then again, Mulan went the no music route, which again, I just ugh, that, that really upset me. But yeah. Um, um, but yeah, you know, I, I think this song fits perfectly. And again, maybe is the spot that we would see a, a Le Poisson. It's it's a comic relief song, and it's right. it's great. It's just what the scene needs at that time. You have a big emotional sequence before. You know something big's happening. It's nice to have something lighthearted at that scene. 
Absolutely. And I want to talk about one more big, big name actor in this film. Um, Javier Bardem as King Triton, right? Um, I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to pull off any of the comedy because I've never really seen him in a comedic role at all. And as we know, in the original Little Mermaid film, King Triton and Sebastian have some of the best banter in the film. That's where a lot of the comedy comes from. I feel like he nailed it in this one. I feel like his timing was very good. What did you think? You know, I I agree. But I think he, and honestly to a point, David Diggs in the first act of this film were underutilized compared to the Mm. original. I think Javier Bardem was not nearly on screen enough because when he's on screen, he's excellent as Triton. But Triton seems to have a smaller role in this film than he does in the original. Um, And again, I don't know if like, you know, the, the directors uh, felt that, you know, maybe Javier Bardem doesn't have that ability to add the comedic relief. And we're just going to keep him as a serious Triton and not have him on, on scene, on screen for the more comedic roles. I just felt like he was underutilized. I don't think he did a bad job by any means, but I would have liked to have seen more of him on screen and more of that banter between Sebastian and uh, and King Triton. I mean, they they even kind of switched the role of Sebastian, you know, in this one. In this one, he was just the king's advisor, whereas in the in the film, he's like the 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 composer. He's the the court composer, and you know, you have that great opening scene, another cut with all the daughters singing, rather than just the meetings of the seven daughters at the coral moon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't remember if the coral moon was a. Uh big plot point in the original film but i like that not, they added no. it did you yeah i did feel too and the, the idea of the because i feel like there are different understandings and it's still not really clear i think in the original little mermaid by hans christian anderson the reason the merfolk and the people don't get to get along is because ariel's mother was killed by a human um and that right. you know kind of they, they mention it a little bit. I, I think Triton says it once to Ariel, you know, you're like your mother. Um, you know, it's alluded to original in the original as well, but, you know, never really touched on. But I liked in this one immediately how you see with that opening sequence on the ship where you see the, the men throwing the harpoons thinking, oh, you know, we're going to catch a mermaid. The mermaid are dangerous. How we see why there would be a fear of the humans. Sometimes, you know, there there seems to be a disconnect in the retellings of the Little Mermaid on why the humans and the merfolk stay separate. But here we see it without any long exposition. We just see it in one sequence. You know, oh, we're gonna get us a mermaid. They're dangerous. They lure people to their death on the coral moon. That's all we need, and we understand why these people are separate. These species, I guess. Absolutely. And you mentioned the opening of this film. I knew this was going to be a great film in the first scene of this movie because we open with a great quote, right? I didn't expect that at all. We get an awesome quote. I can't remember word for word what it is, but it's like, a mermaid cannot cry, therefore she suffers so much more or something so like much, that. Yeah. yeah. And again, this this actually I did not understand. I, I thought yeah. it was kind of unnecessary. Now, when we get this sequence, and this I think will feed us nicely into the, the end of this film yes. we get these words and then the way the way the film ends you know ariel doesn't just immediately go back with eric she's sad and under the sea and eventually triton has a change of heart and you know grants her to be a human my 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 issue here is that 
I thought if we're going to open with that sequence, we end it on a sadder down note. But mm. I didn't understand what the point of the mermaid being sad was when really at the end she gets what she wants. You know, that I didn't really understand why we needed that quote. Hmm, interesting, yeah. I I thought it was an interesting way to open the film and set the tone for the movie, but you're right. It wasn't like it was a main message of the film. I thought way. it was going to tie in yeah. that at the end, Ariel and Eric realize that they can't be together and that was going to be the end. And I was like, oh, okay, that ties back to the end. We're going to go with a darker note here, but they did not go that route. So that's why it kind of confused me on why we had that opening yeah, piece of text, you know, from I, – I think it's actually a piece of text. It was it was uh, given to Hans Christian Andersen or credited to Hans Christian Andersen who wrote the novel The Little Mermaid in 1837, I believe. Right, right. So maybe that's how, how the – I've never read the original and me maybe neither. that's how it ends is – yeah. And while we're talking about the ending, RB, like you said, there's a lot of things they changed here at the end. And mm-hmm. I was a big fan of the fact that – Ariel and Eric do not get married at the end. That was a big surprise to me. Yes, they end up together at the end, but the final sequence here is not a big marriage. It is a sending off party for them to go better the world, which to me, I thought was a fantastic way to end this film, and it fit perfectly for the message. I thought as these two people were not just trying to escape from their lives that they disliked, they were trying to get out of there because they wanted to make the world a better place, which just makes them yeah. that much better of characters, I thought. I, I agree wholeheartedly, yes. Uh, it stuck with the message throughout the film. It wasn't, we're two angsty teenagers who just want to go right. away and rebel. You know, It gave them a greater why. And that was recurrent throughout the entire film, both with Eric and with Ariel, and their curiosity to learn from one another. Absolutely, and that's and I thought that was a great message for young people to watch in this movie, right? Because as a young man or a young woman, you're going to be finding people that you like, right? And you're wondering if they're a good person. And this shows exactly the kind of qualities that you should be looking for in someone, right? Someone like Eric, Ariel sees Eric is so motivated to go and help people that she says, well, I'm also interested in that too. We can be together and we could achieve this goal together, which is the beginning of a great relationship i'm sure as as you'll see in real life and in this in this movie yeah yeah no i i i agree and i i think again they did a great job with this film not just with the the retelling of the story but the reimagining and and again yes. that's what they did with aladdin that's what they did with uh disney I'm, I'm of course talking about that's what they did with beauty and the beast to me that's where they fell short with the lion king that's where they fell short with Pinocchio was it was not a retelling it was it was just a retelling it wasn't a reimagination by any means it was a retelling with new actors and you know live action and the implication or the implementation of CG rather and live action rather than a full animated film so I think I think they did a great job here and I hope they keep that going I think where I want to round this out with unless you have any other comments on the film is discussing some of the upcoming uh, Disney live action films that we're going to see next. I really do want to talk yeah, about so some have, of these ones coming. Yeah. So we have three that already officially have release dates, two in 2024 and one in 2025. And I think the first one here is the one that intrigues me the most. A live action version of Snow White done by the Walt Disney Company. Now we've had some retellings of Snow White done, I believe, by Universal. They did the, yeah. the Snow White and the Huntsman series. Um, this will be actually a true retelling of the Disney Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, of course, the first animated feature film by Walt Disney that made Walt Disney Studios what it is. 
or Walt Disney yeah. Animation, I should say. And, and this one I'm Rachel very Zegler. curious to see. Did you know that Rachel yes. Zegler from, was it West Side Story? From uh, West Side Story, yeah. I, uh, I'm so excited is, to see this one. I'm really excited to see this telling because you and I both talked about it in this episode. We hate the Disney princess who's the damsel in distress and the Disney prince charming who's just there to rescue the princess and swoon her. That is literally what Snow White is. And granted, yeah. that's what all it needed to be for its time. It was right. the first of these prince Disney princess films back in 1937. I'm really excited to see what they can do as a, as a retelling uh, in this story. Rachel Zegler, I think they cast perfectly because she is such a strong female lead. She was in West Side Story. I'm really excited to see what she can do with this role. It's going to be directed by Mark Webb. Um, who did the amazing Spider-Man uh, films with Andrew Garfield? Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm really excited to see what what they do with this one. So that's our next one coming out, followed by and this one's kind of a groaner for me, yeah. uh, a prequel to The Lion King, Mufasa, The Lion yeah. King. That'll yeah. be about young Mufasa. Perks for originality because we've never seen right. this story before. They've done Lion King sequels. They did a prequel about Timon and Pumbaa. This will be a Lion King prequel that we haven't seen. So points for originality. We'll see if they do it better than they did the original. Because to me, this could just be a straight animated release. Um, right. You know, rather than spending all the money to do CG on this one. And I, I have I have a couple things to say about this one, RB. And I have some very cautious optimism about this one. And it's because we have a different director. We do not have John Favreau directing this uh, like he directed The Lion King, right? We have yep. Barry Jenkins directing this prequel. And this is very notable because this is the gentleman that directed Moonlight, one of my personal favorite films, the winner of Best Picture several years ago. I think it was 2016 or 17. Um, I think it was 17 uh, that Moonlight came out. But um, Barry Jenkins is a very, very good director. And I think them giving him this story is very important. Um, and I want to see him take, as we know, the Lion King story is based on Hamlet to the very strong extent. I yep. want to see him delve into that more. I want to see him go deep in the past in this. I want to see all the drama. Um, it has to have more. They get, the Lion King was so devoid of any suspense or immediacy in any way that this one has to have something behind it much much like you were saying in the snow white film it will live or die on whether or not they can update it properly i i fully agree with these the, your assessment of these two films rb what's the third one the third one is a live action rendition of moana hitting theaters in 2025 now this one concerns me just me a little bit um moana is an excellent film moana yes. is a very new film yeah i don't know that we need a live action rendition of it yet I would have rathered, and I, I say this more so because of who they tabbed as the director. It's Thomas Kale directing. Now, Thomas Kale is most known for directing on Broadway, both In the Heights and Hamilton. I would have almost preferred that they had gone with creating a staged musical of Moana for Broadway and tour than actually creating it into a feature film. Now... I'm excited with Thomas Kale. Obviously, he's a he's a uh, big worker, big friend of Lin Manuel Miranda's, who I believe had a hand in Moana, had the oh, hand yeah. in the music. Um, so I'm really excited to see 
what we do here. I think there could be some excellent spectacles on stage, uh, on screen, I should say. But I just don't know that we need it. I think there are a lot of other films yeah. they could have chosen from first before a relatively new, relatively not relatively, extremely strong Disney film. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you, RB. There are so many more older Disney classics. Um, I, I know that I'm on the definitely on the lower end here as far as liking these films, but I'm a big fan of The Rescuers Down Under. <laughs> I grew up with those films when I was a kid. I'd like to see those given some sort of live-action treatment. I feel like that could be good. How about Bambi? That is Disney's most famous film, and they have not remade it yet. I am so shocked. So we do have official announcements that there will be the following live-action Disney films. Directors have been tabbed, uh, but no release dates yet for Bambi, uh, The Sword in the Stone, Robin Hood, The Aristocats, uh... Hercules and Lilo and Stitch. So Bambi is right. one in there that um, you know that you bring up that they've already tabbed the director. It's going to be uh, Sarah Pauly, uh, who I have not really seen anything that she has directed before, um, but she will be directing it. Last major directorial work was Mister Nobody. If you saw that back in two thousand nine, I have not seen it. No. Um, but yeah, so we will have. A live action Bambi, just no no date on it yet. What were the other ones? Can you read that again? Yeah, so it'll be Bambi, uh, and this is just in order of the years the originals were released. So Bambi, mm-hmm. The Sword in the Stone, which will be directed by Juan Carlos Fersnadio. Hmm. Um, the Aristocats, which will be directed by Questlove. <laughs> So that's that's a that'll be a fun one. I'm excited for that one. Honestly. Yeah, musically that'll be awesome. Yep. yep. Uh, Robin Hood, directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada. Done so many uh, times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hercules, directed by Guy Ritchie. Really excited about that one. I think that's Hercules is an extremely underrated Disney film. I love that film, um, 1997 Hercules, and Lilo and Stitch, which will be directed by Dean Fleischer Camp. Can I give you my fan casting for the Hercules film? I've had this one for a long time. Yeah, I want to ahead. see Tom Holland as Hercules. That's not a bad, bad go of things. It'll be interesting. Tom Holland could definitely play the young, skinny Hercules right. to see how we get the the muscular glow up <laughs> of Tom Holland as Hercules. But that's not a bad, bad casting job for sure. Uh, I'd, I'd I'd watch that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like we've given our fans a pretty good rundown of what to expect for the future of these Disney live-action uh, remake remade uh, classics. So uh, let us know what you guys think. What is uh, is The Little Mermaid at the top of your list for these films now? Is it not? Uh, are you looking forward to any one of these we've been talking about specifically? Let us know. Um, also, check out some of our previous reviews out on the channel. We have the Barbenheimer double feature. We have Barbie and Oppenheimer out. You guys can go and check out our reviews for those. You can also check out our reviews of The Bear, seasons one and two. We gave a good review, good breakdown of those, as well as we have Ahsoka, the premiere, episodes one and two. And RB and I did something we don't usually do. We did a full, full breakdown of Ahsoka Episode 5 just because it was so special. We broke it down in depth. If you guys are huge Star Wars nerds like us, go check that out. Lots of theories, lots of deep cuts. Uh, So go check those out on the channel now. RB, you want to take us out? 
Yeah, so we have some some good content coming your way as well in the future. Dom, you just started watching Ted Lasso, uh, binging that one, so we'll get a full review of Ted Lasso uh, on the uh, on the page as well. Lots of big films coming up as well. We're past the summer months, but still uh, big ones coming out indeed. Um, obviously, Blue Beetles out, Gran Turismo, uh, Mission Impossible. Once that uh, those hit streaming services, we'll be reviewing all of those for sure. Um, Ahsoka as it comes out, and then right after Ahsoka, we have Loki. We'll hit you with our reviews of those. I'm sure much more to come. So you can uh, definitely, like Dom said, find us on social media. Uh, find our letterbox accounts. Those are all in the description. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Top of the List. We'll talk to you all next week. Later, everybody.